The glory of God is literally a heavy subject. In the Hebrew language, the word translated glory means weighty. A slogan from the 1960s comes close to the idea. Have you ever heard somebody say, that's heavy, man? God's glory is a central theme found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. The phrase, the glory of God, appears 12 times in the first 11 chapters and then disappears. It reappears in chapter 43 when God's glory fills a future temple envisioned by Ezekiel during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. God's majestic and manifest presence on display best defines the glory of God, which is the sum of his divine nature, attributes, and creative works. Truly, that's heavy, man. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. That's Psalm 86, verse 8. And this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. The glory of God is a prominent theme in the book of Ezekiel. He describes the sum total of God's divine nature, His attributes, and His creative works. Coming up next, Ron takes us to this Old Testament prophecy and shows us how it remains relevant for all of us today. Stay with us now as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out our digital library where Ron uses his 30 years of Bible teaching ministry to answer some of your toughest questions. Now here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Ezekiel, the glory of God. Well, the glory of God is literally a heavy subject. In the Hebrew language, the word Glory actually means weighty or weighted. I, I think of a phrase that uh, came out of the 1960s where somebody might say something like this, that's heavy, man, that's heavy. <laughs> uh, maybe not many of you were born in the 1960s, I don't know, but uh, these things come around. I keep telling my kids, these, these things just cycle back through. They're gonna be saying groovy and heavy and things like that soon, and they'll think it's brand new, right? But uh, by the end of our time together, as we talk about the glory of God from the book of Ezekiel, you're going to be saying, that's heavy. That's heavy. God's majestic and manifest presence on display best defines the glory of God, which is the sum total of his divine nature, his attributes, uh, his creative works. Think of football players who claim what they call gridiron glory when they get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. You know, gridiron glory. Well, uh, God's glory is that which makes him the exclusive member of his own Hall of Fame. Think about that. The exclusive member of his own Hall of Fame. In other words, there is no God like him. He has no rival, as we just sang. Therefore, in John 3.16, Jesus is called the one and only Son. There's no one like him. Don't, don't lump him in with all the other so-called gods or religious leaders. That's an insult. All glory belongs to him. The apostle John says, we beheld his glory. 
The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Later, Peter, the apostle Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his glory. Probably a reference to the time that they were on the mountaintop and, and Jesus transfigured himself and showed them a little bit of his glory. God's glory is a major theme found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, which is our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. The phrase, the glory of God, appears 12 times in the first 11 chapters, and then it disappears. It reappears in chapter 43 when God's glory fills a future temple envisioned by the prophet Ezekiel during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ after his second coming. So we have the, the glory of God front and center, on full, fully on display in the first 11 chapters. 12 times it appears there, then disappears until chapter 43. Very interesting. Ezekiel begins the book with a powerful vision of the glory of God, as seen by the prophet uh, near his house at the Kabar Canal in uh, Babylonia. The detailed description is worth reading in chapter one. I encourage you to do that. We don't have time to read it all this morning and to unpack it. Uh, but to the untrained Bible student, it sounds a, a little bit like an alien invasion. Let me tell you why. Because in this vision, there are four living creatures. Each of these living creatures have four wings, and they each have four faces. A human face, a lion face, an ox face, and an eagle face. They emerge from a great cloud, a stormy wind, and flashes of fire. Got the picture so far? The creatures, each with a special wheel that connects them to the earth, move in a single unit in any direction without turning. I mean, this is strange stuff to our, to our human understanding. And then Ezekiel says in verse 21, the spirit of the living creatures was inside the wheels. No, this is not a movie script about uh, Area 51 or UFOs or something like that. This is the Word of God, putting the glory of God on display in a strange but meaningful manner to us. Ezekiel also saw a sapphire throne appearing above the heads of the four living creatures. Uh, he says in verse 26, above the throne, one with a human appearance was seated, a rainbow appeared brightly all around the throne, and above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. Again, this is not a sci-fi thriller. This, this really sounds more like the Apostle John's vision in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in that way, John and Ezekiel have uh, something in common. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, uh, while imprisoned on the island of Patmos, the Apostle John says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Back to the book of Ezekiel. After the vision in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, a few chapters later, Ezekiel saw the glory of God depart the temple. Chapter 10 and verse 18, then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. 
The glory of God departs the temple in Ezekiel's vision. Now, back in the 1960s, when Elvis Presley, who was the king of rock and roll, finished a concert and left the stage, do you remember what happened, some of you? A loud voice came over the speakers and said, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> well, thousands of years ago in Ezekiel's time, the glory of God departed the temple. Out of here, gone. And then came the Babylonians. They destroyed the temple and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and carried the Hebrew captives off to uh, Babylon for 70 years. This dramatic scene demonstrated that God does not limit himself to one place, which uh, the covenant community in the Old Testament believed during the ministries of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They couldn't imagine God ever leaving the place where he said he would meet with them. But it was a sad day, a sad day in the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel when the glory of God departed the temple. He's gone. Now, the, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, kind of like Jeremiah, was both a priest and a prophet who ministered during the time of the Babylonian exile, which was Judah's darkest hour in history. And Ezekiel was among the thousands of hostages taken to Babylonia when King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem the second time in 597 B.C. The Babylonian siege came in three stages. 605 B.C. was the first, then 597, then ultimately uh, 586 B.C. Daniel, that we'll get to next week, was taken off in 605 B.C. But Ezekiel in 597 B.C., and his ministry overlaps the end of Jeremiah's ministry and the beginning of Daniel's ministry. So that's where you kind of place him in the uh, Old Testament historical timeline. Now, just like the phrase, the glory of the Lord is common in the book of Ezekiel and really sets forth the theme of the book. The phrase, the word of the Lord came to me is another phrase that repeats itself. It appears 49 times in the book, slightly more than once per chapter. And so you got to pay attention to it. The word of the Lord came to me. Prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and others did not speak out of their own authority. They spoke from God's authority. Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. I remember when I came here as pastor of this church back in uh, 2015, I said, listen, I, I, I don't have anything to say. Ron Jones has nothing to say, <laughs> but God has everything to say. And the extent to which the authority for anything that I say is not tethered to the pages of Scripture, forget it. It might be good advice, but it doesn't come with the authority of this is what God says in his word. Uh, the exiles in Judah heard Ezekiel's strong prophetic voice for about 20 years. And like Jeremiah, Ezekiel was a creative and somewhat artistic communicator. He delivered the word of the Lord using uh, a series of prophecies and parables and signs and visions. It's, 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 it's a pretty crazy book to read in that sense. Uh, again, not a sci-fi thriller, not a movie script for UFOs and Area 51. This is the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet and through these, uh, these communication means. His messages contain, yes, the sharp barbs of judgment against first the nation of Judah. That's chapters 4 through 24. Up next, 
The second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And today's teaching comes from Ron's monumental series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Watch or listen to the entire series at your convenience in the Something Good digital library. You'll find that at somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, you can also download Ron's sermon notes for today's message. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Whenever you stop by, you're invited to share your prayer request with us. Just use the Explore feature at the top of the homepage where you'll find the How Can We Pray For You option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. The Lord gave Ezekiel 10 signs to share with the nation of Israel. They were declarations of things yet to come. But as you'll see next, they came at a heavy price. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Ezekiel the glory of God. And then he turns to the enemies of Israel, the Gentile nations, chapters 25 through 32. It's a heavy slog through those chapters as uh, uh, the judgment of the Lord came against his own chosen people and then the enemies of Israel as well. And then following that in chapters 33 through 48, uh, you have prophecies pertaining to God's promises to the nation of Israel, their future hope, and all the way to the end of the age, their millennial blessings. It's a fabulous book that way. Uh, filled with present-day applications for the people of Israel and for us and for, uh, uh, for those that want to look through the long lens of Bible prophecy, instructions all the way to the end of the age. Now, the Lord spoke through Ezekiel using a total of 10 signs, you know, it's parables and prophecies, visions. There were 10 signs that were given to Israel, uh, Ezekiel to speak uh, to the people of God. And sometimes these signs were a bit odd. Sometimes they were difficult for the prophet to enact. For example, God made Ezekiel lie down on his right side, get this, for 390 days. Just lie down on your right side for 390 days. And then when you're done with that, lie down on your left side for another 40 days. You say, well, why did he have to do that? Uh, chapter 4 says, to bear the punishment for the nation of Israel. It was a sign to the nation of Israel. God also told Ezekiel to shave his head. And there were three different ways he was supposed to dispose of his hair. Some to just toss to the wind. Some to uh, cut up with a, a sharp knife. And uh, there was a third way. Each picturing, the Lord said, the destruction of the people of Jerusalem. And then there was another sign that was probably the most difficult and the most grievous for Ezekiel. It involved the death of his wife. In chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, the Lord says, Son of man, behold, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. What, what a difficult assignment. But her death, Ezekiel's wife's death, was a sign that the Lord was taking away Israel's blessings. Now, another important phrase found throughout the book of Ezekiel appears 73 times. You have the glory of the Lord, uh, you have the word of the Lord came to me, and then 73 times, nearly twice per chapter on average, you hear this phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, just think about that for a moment. If I came to you or if you came to me and said something like, do you know who I am? <laughs> that might sound a little arrogant, right? But not when the Lord says it. 
Not when the Lord, who is the exclusive member of his own hall of, flame, hall of Fame, where all glory is his, where he has no rival, he can legitimately say, I'm going to do this so that they will know that I am the Lord. And, and 79 times that appears. The first phrase occurs in chapter 5 in verse 13 when the Lord says, Thus shall my anger spend itself, and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself. And they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. Now, why was the Lord so angry with Israel? Why did he spew his anger upon them? Well, uh, unwind to, in chapter 5 to verse 6, and it tells us, because she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than all the countries around her, for they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Shockingly, God's people acted more wickedly than the pagan nations around them. And it reminds me of the times when, you know, there's a a Christian leader today who does something that he or she is not supposed to do and it gets in the news and even the godless pagan nation that we might be living in or some part of the world is shocked by it all. Uh, not, not even, this is not even named among the pagans is the idea. And this was the entire nation of Israel. They had so grieved God by uh, their sin and their continued sin that... Um, well, he compares them in chapter 15 to a useless vine and to a faithless bride. And then in chapter 33 and verse 29, the Lord says, Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. Now, the Lord's righteous judgment falling upon Judah uh, did not come without fair warning. Let's just acknowledge that. Uh, the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet. The major prophets, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel, uh, la later Daniel, and then a whole slew of what we call minor prophets. And the Lord didn't send a prophet when they were doing things right and well. He, he sent them to correct them. And these prophets, many of them ministered for decades, certainly the major prophets did, over long periods of time. To say that the Lord was patient and long-suffering uh, is an understatement. However, God's goal was not punishment for punishment's sake. His greater goal was and always is the redemption of his people, calling his people back to himself. And sometimes that requires a severe mercy. It requires discipline. It required, in this case, captivity. It required a time when the glory of God departed the temple and said, I'm out of here. Get yourselves right with me, and then we can talk. And it was 70 years of captivity uh, before that happened. And during this time, the Lord also defended his holy name, which he indicted Israel for profaning. He said to Old Testament Israel, by the way you've acted, you, you have disgraced my name. The Lord compared the way Israel defiled the promised land, listen to this, quote, to the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. That's in the scriptures. 
And after the Lord scattered Israel to the nations, uh, he said in chapter 36, beginning in verse 20, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So what did the Lord do to, uh, uh, out of concern for his holy name? Uh, here, here's where there's a, a twist in the story and a surprise. Yeah. He makes a new covenant with them. <laughs> he sends them into captivity, 70 years, but he says, listen, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And he does this out of concern for his own holy name. Listen to this in chapter 36 and verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, is it not for your sake, or it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when you through, when through you, rather, I, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. You ever seen how sometimes uh, big corporations will protect their brand? I thought about that as I, as I read about how the Lord vindicated his holy name. God acting in his own self-interest to protect his holy name that had been profaned by his people. And he would do this by redeeming his chosen people from exile, bringing them back to the land that he had given to them, that promised land. Every promise God makes is a promise God keeps. As history continues to unfold, pay close attention to the nation of Israel. We may well see some of Ezekiel's prophecies come to pass right before our eyes. If you missed part of today's teaching, or if you'd like to hear it again, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66 from Chicago, Illinois to Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the biblical Route 66. Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is now available as a two-volume set covering the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. For a gift of $50 or more, request your copy of the set. When you order the print books, you will also get unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and eight eBooks. 
To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volumes 1 and 2, through the Old and New Testaments, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible makes a great addition to any home library. Request both volumes today at somethinggoodradio.org. Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. The nation of Israel that has gathered back in the land today is not necessarily the fulfillment of this prophecy, although it's a good start. I believe this prophecy ultimately points to a time at the end of the age when God will gather believing Jews to their homeland and Jesus Christ they will acknowledge as their Messiah. And when he returns, he will establish their, his millennial kingdom on this earth with them, the Bible says, for a thousand years. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, Ezekiel, the glory of God. Join us then for Something Good. Now for Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.